0: Lot talk radio.
1: Quiet,
0: please. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Rex Pike 's Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And we will talk to everyone behind the camera, and I'll provide you with the guests and the information that you're going to want to have with your filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at movie. My guest today is Deborah Granick. She's the Academy Award-nominated uh, director for Winter's Bone, and she's going to be talking about her new documentary, Stray Dog. We're going to talk to her in just a moment. She's also going to be a guest, an honored guest, at the Milwaukee Film Festival, which begins Thursday, the 27th of September, and runs until October 9th in the Milwaukee area. So if you're listening in this area... Or anywhere, and can travel to Milwaukee. You're going to want to uh, participate. You're going to want to see Stray Dog. You're going to want to also. She is conducting a panel and in a in and in a symposium or workshop on uh, directors working with actors. So uh, you're going to want to be sure to tune in, and um, and uh, or it's not tune in. You're tuned in. You're going to want to uh, join us at the Milwaukee film festival she's going to be coming up in just a second let me say that uh, the chat room is open if you're listening live all of these interviews are available at RexSikes.com. that's my name i'm your host or you can find the information at me. that's the blog and uh, you can listen live from there all of them are archived over 400 hours of professional filmmakers sharing their expertise with you and all we ask in return is that you spread the word right now as you listen And uh, reach out to somebody and have them listen with you through your favorite social media means or email or they're in person at the coffee shop. Say, hey, check this out. And also leave comments at the player or rate and review the podcast when you're listening live. All right, let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Deborah Granick is a director, nominated for the Academy Award, and co-writer of Winter's Bone, which was nominated for four Oscars, including Best Picture, and won the Grand Jury Prize at the 2010 Sundance Film Festival. Granick's first feature film, Down to the Bone, was awarded the Best Director Prize at the 2004 Sundance Film Festival, and she's known for her amazing work with actors and essentially launching the careers of both uh, Vera Firmegna and she's going to kill me with it. And Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, her work is known as an inspiration and collaborative style that uh, she describes as a late-breaking global neorealism. And her most recent offering is the documentary Stray Dog, and it began with a chance encounter while scouting and casting Winter Bone. Granick met Ron Stray Dog Hall in the biker church of Branson and cast him as the estranged father Thump Milton. Now, of her work, she says... The question I had for most of my life is, how are you coping? And some people have these small positive schemes for survival, a kind of strength that I'm attracted to, maybe because I'm prone to the blues. Now, in Hall, she found a worthy subject, one whose humor and lack of self-consciousness uh, had the potential to make the plight of the Vietnam Vets accessible to a broader audience. So stay tuned. She's coming up right now. Hi, Deborah. How are you doing? It's Hi, can you hear me?
0: Hello, I'm good. Yes, I can. I'm good. Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you. Welcome to the show. I'm Great. so glad that you're here. And um and uh, you're uh, are you still are you on the East Coast right now?
0: I am, I am. I'm sitting in an office in Poughkeepsie, New York, on the college wow. campus of Vassar College.
1: Well very cool, but in a couple of days you're gonna be here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and you're going to be attending the Milwaukee film festival and you're accompanying your film Stray Dog. Um That's right. Can you tell us you now I read some in the in the interview in the uh, introduction, you know that you met this gentleman uh you know when casting Winterbone and you cast him as, as the father. um what is Stray Dog about as a documentary film? Stray
0: Dog is about life in contemporary America as seen through the eyes of sort of one family. It's a family in southern Missouri. Ron Straydog Hall is a man, that, as you said, I did meet um, through a prior project. And I, um, in sort of learning a little bit more about his life, realized that his life, like all of our lives, you know, somehow is woven to a bunch of themes that are much, very much here and now, vital and... Things that, unless you sort of walk in someone else's shoes, you don't always know about. You don't always know sort of the details of the picture. And Ron was someone who was willing to sort of talk about and show some of those details. What made, you know, where he came of age, how he's formed himself as a an American over the last couple decades, what would have been the biggest influences, what are his biggest concerns, um, Those those kind of issues, that kind of meat of an existence, and when someone's willing to not just divulge, but more like share some of that, you realize that there are a lot of points of intersection with your own life. Uh, and you realize that Ron's one of many, you know, you, so it's it's never about looking for, you know, uniqueness as a, as a goal. It's about the way individuals share a lot with each other, you know, that we, that we have a lot of commonality. And so, um, It's a difficult film in that sense because it's not about anything that you can just, you know, Ron's not in a contest. You know, Ron isn't, you know, going to become a public speaker about PTSD. It's not like he's going to become a celebrity or win something or he's not going to climb Everest. You know, it's it's more that he is going to try to navigate his life and has been, and then he's going to talk about how he does it.
1: That's that's uh, it's, it's it's fascinating. Now, in in light of w- w- the introduction with the notion that, that some people have coping skills or that they 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 run their life differently, um, was there something about Ron that you noticed I- in meeting him that 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 drew you to him?
0: Many things. I mean, many things. Just he's a very you know, for me, he's a very photogenic individual in the sense that he's often when when affiliated with his biking, um, you know, he's in full motorcycle, you know, and leather, and he's a burly individual, so he's has a striking presence. You know, he takes up room. He's He has a, a tattoo that means a lot and directly relates to his own history, which is, uh, you know, has the word Vietnam on his arm, and I didn't mm-hmm. expect to see that word or, or mention of that country sitting, you know, in a really small town in southern Missouri. I just that was not a word I expected to glance over to the man next to me on a on a pew in a church, a bikers' church, no less, and see that word. Um, it made me want to speak to him. But then, when I finally got to his home turf where he lived, he greeted me with four small dogs in his arms, really uh-huh. small dogs. And I was like, Ah, uh-huh. God, you know, I already had just. If you had a dog, I would have assumed you had a big dog, and I would have assumed maybe that your dog was somehow fierce in some way, or maybe possibly even, you know, intimidating in some way. And, you know, so one of his opening lines to me is like, "Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of the guys from my generation, a lot of Vietnam era men, have really small dogs." I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Already, anthropolog You know, as an American, as a fellow American, he's just put out a piece of anthropological material that, that I certainly didn't know about. And I immediately, it piqued my interest. I'm like, I want to know the why and how of that. I want to know why that is. And what are your thoughts on that? And he's a very eloquent person. He's a very articulate person. So he, over the course of the ensuing conversations that I would have with him for the next three years, he was really able to talk about that and and show me how true it was, you know. Um, and that one of the more touching things I would I, will never be able to get on screen because it happened before I met him, was that that was even his sort of route to seeking help very late in his life to deal with um, some issues related to PTSD, Mm -hmm. where a bunch of vets coming through trying to um, stop at his RV park. They were traveling, and they all had small dogs. And Mm -hmm. they recognized in him. They said, dude, you know, there's some stuff that you have in your life some things we're picking up on, some things you've said. And we've had some of that stuff. You've got to get yourself, you've got to find a decent therapist at the VA and you've got to see see if you can get a little bit of discussion going, see if you can actually receive some kind of meaningful therapy. And the only he said the only people he would have ever listened to would be other vets. You know, that could have gone in one ear and out the other if anyone else had said that to him would have been frankly very unwelcome, I think, as a comment or a suggestion. But the fact that and and one of the reasons that they saw their commonality was the small dogs. I mean that that it's almost like a speaking stone. You know, these these guys that maybe find it hard to talk about emotions and stuff that isn't going well in their lives. With with a small dog under their arm, it's it's possible for so, you know, it's, it's you know, yeah.
1: Well, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because it, it it suggests a couple of of things to me as I listen to you speak. The, the notion that they have rapport because of the small dogs that there's this commonality or this, this this maybe this that connects them, and then the idea that it's a small dog as opposed to you know a mastiff or a rockweiler. I mean, it's 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 something more maybe genteel or um it's tiny you know requiring more care am i am, am Absolutely I,
0: yeah yes
1: you know so the, so that the, the way that, yeah. uh-huh the the way they uh, the, the way they approach their life you know with care. well let me let me backtrack i i i want to tie something together you correct me if or 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 make an observation you you were nominated for uh, four academy awards for Winter's Bone which is an amazing movie and um It's very story driven and very character driven and and very performance driven. I mean, those are the things that that truly stand out. Um, You you know, it's it's not devoid of action, but it's not an action picture. It's not it's it's. I mean, I, I don't know quite how to to put it. It's more conversational than it is active in my mind. But it is. But it's riveting and it is compelling. And the thing that makes it so. Is your work with the the characters in story, the story that bringing these people to life and the performances as 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 the actors have um, you know lived these characters uh, and, and so it touched I think many people and obviously touched the Academy um, uh, voters and uh, and it was fair to say that it launched Jennifer Lawrence's career I would I would imagine so um, I would imagine that that. That kind of care and attention um the perspective that you have in dealing with people on the set and bringing a story life, while it's a different approach in in documentary filmmaking um you know to let the the character not the characters but the people the subjects um unfold, I would imagine that the care that you have as a, as a director as a filmmaker as a storyteller. Um, you bring to the documentary process without interfering with it, if if I made any sense at all in that.
0: Yeah, well, I think you know what's interesting is that certain you know it's probably not surprising then hearing you say these comments and me trying to you know process that um, that I picked a very character-driven you know scenario in which to turn a, a more <laughs> documentary approach, right? Which is you know when you you know he's a very very developed character, you know. Uh, he's the kind of character that would leap from the pages of a book like uh like Daniel Woodrell describing teardrop the the uncle in mm-hmm. winter's bone um that was who was played by John Hawks. and um you know Ron is a very ron's good friend Whitey is a super colorful character ron's neighbor Bobby is a colorful character and but they came. You know, in a documentary, what's crazy is they come obviously fully dressed. They come with their teeth, without their teeth. They come with their dogs. They come with housing, a set that's already developed. You know, each one of those individuals lives in a very specific kind of um, RV that has been decorated very specifically. Has objects pertaining to their lives. Cooks in a certain way. Cooks for their dogs in a certain way. Um, you know, some of them have children. Some of them don't. Some of them have you know, really extreme financial straits, some don't but so what I'm trying to say is that um all that I love about trying to bring a narrative to life in a documentary often it's very much given to you. And you just have to be a very disciplined observer, recorder. It's it's almost more about your stamina to some extent. It's your stamina of like sticking to it, showing up day after day or week after week, following and, and striking out a lot. Some events aren't interesting. Some events are weird. Some events are unpredictable. You know, but you, if you film enough of them, eventually you're going to have quite a bit of um, gems, you know. Or, you know, and, and sometimes I think I'm a nutter, you know. It's like I there's one scene that's not in the film that I I loved, but for me it was the anthropology of how men organize a potluck. You know, I'd never been I've never been a fly mm-hmm. on the wall of sort of have how Men alone do things, you know. Um, And this was a biker group that was going to do a chili supper. And it's like, you know, I don't know, just seeing a biker say, "Who's going to bring the onions?" I don't know why that slayed me. You know, I was like, "Oh God, I'm just, am I, have I died and gone to heaven?" You know, it's like, you know, simple line, but I I guess it was just sort of the unexpected nature of it. You know, seeing, you know, I just, I I don't know what it was—the care about the chili dinner. I don't know whether seeing people be real meticulous about details made me think more of a kind of more vanilla organization or a more female concern with detail. I, I, you know, I don't know what stereotypes I was defying for myself. But, you know, um, so, you know, I think what makes you crazy about a documentary is that you end up with 300 scenes. Well, You know, when you go with a narrative script, you know you've got 120 scenes, you've got 24 days, and, and you're not going to be adding scenes, you know. With a documentary, mm-hmm. you might get three hundred scenes, and ninety of them can fit in a film that people can watch. Unless you do a series, you know.
1: Right. Well, it's it, it, it's yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. I
0: was going to say, yeah, and, and the temptation was to actually do a series, not not because we think everything we you know it's not like everything we do is so holy or yeah, everything we do is good. It's every scene. All I mean was that there was enough material, like. You know, what What if it was like an hour of just, just from the perspective of the of the teenage twins, you know, an hour from The Neighbor, an hour from Ron himself, um, an hour from Ron's best friend Whitey. You know, what would happen if we actually sort of did a long-form, weird documentary, kind of a novel style, you know? You know, somehow differentiating that from reality TV. But in some ways, <laughs> we really weren't prepared, you know, we weren't prepared to to sort of stay with a project that long, you know, in that sense. It's like we love, but there's a lot of pressure in one's life to sort of also try other things. So it's like, it's interesting how you have to sort of parse your energy.
1: So how, how, how you, you said three years. So from the moment that you met him, when did you then come back? How did, how did you, how did you approach the, the topic with Ron? Say, Hey, I, I would like to, you know, capture you on film and, and, how did you negotiate that with the subject, and then, um, well, you had the re- you you obviously you cast him in the movie. So, um, but from there, how did it unfold? You you then did, uh, Witcher's Bone, and at some point during or after you you undertook the documentary.
0: Right. So, um, in wrapping up, the, the first time I sort of ever met Ron in his own home base was. Um, like the day we were going to leave Missouri, you know, the crew had gone home from Winter's Bone and we had really wrapped up. We had returned rentals. Things were done. Move our paperwork out of the office or the hotel room or whatever we were staying in. And, um, and so, and you know, learn quite a bit about Ron. Um, and then actually the first follow-up with him was we were going to do a little piece that was going to be like a, almost like a, a DVD extra. I think it um, turns out that it was something that we were able to put up um, you know, on the Internet. It was a piece called Hillbilly Up. And this was a piece to deconstruct the word hillbilly, just to really look at it, really scour that word, have people who identify, self-report as hillbillies from the region, from the Ozarks, discuss this word in depth. And Ron participated in that. And I, from there I could tell that he was actually a really very articulate person who had a really um, down-home, accessible way to, to explain his feelings to people. And uh, at that point, I believe I said, Ron, you know, crazy, it seems like maybe we, what would you think if we ever came back and sort of tried to do a, a project with you where we chronicle some of your daily life? Um, he had told me that he takes this cross-country cross country ride with other Vietnam vets, it's a very sort of well-known annual ritual event uh, in which the riders traverse the country and go to the Vietnam Memorial in D.C., the Wall. I was like, you know, I'm thinking, we chronicle some parts of your daily life. We follow you to Washington. You know, we ride with the riders. We're right behind them, you know. And he's like, girl, I'm I'm up for it. You know, I'm game. And, and <laughs> you know, we'll talk logistics, if you, you know, because I was like, there is some serious logistics here. You'd have to, you know, help us get permission from, you know, some of the other people that attend that ride so that, you know, that they would feel okay about us being present. And so he helped us work that side of it. Um so it seemed doable because he was accessible and many famous documentary makers that we all revere will, will say that What's you know they say what's one of the preconditions for any documentary to ever even get started it's access to the human to the person and that's a line that barbara koppel will often say you know publicly that access access you know how you know when people say how did you live with those strikers in the meat I get, was that in wisconsin i don't I forget what state the big meat strike was in that she chronicled um Jeez,
1: I, I don't know. That's a good yeah.
0: question. Um you know, so people have, how did you how did you sit in the kitchen with that striking meatpacker, you know, and who was on strike for eight weeks and you know, and you you were there and he and he spoke and he revealed a lot of his emotions and she's like, Access, you know, I I I, I was given the word and the and the sign that, that people were okay with me being there, that they knew I was very dedicated to chronicling this over time and they were that you know that I was very much on their side of the strikers. You know, and and by that time they were used to me, and access had been granted. And Ron was someone who was giving me that sign that yes, I I will tolerate your presence, and I I don't exactly know what you're after and why you're doing this. So there's also a huge amount of trust. Uh-huh. But then of course that trust that trust weighs very heavily on the filmmaker. You know then it's on me to not betray that trust, you know. But, you know, you have to come clean with yourself. You know, I'm not looking for dirt on Ron. I'm not looking to, like, expose some right. dark side of someone. Or I'm not looking and hoping that, oh, man, I hope at the end of the day that he's actually really in a militia and that, you know, his scene is really <laughs> salacious and scary and right. effed up, you know. And and But, I, but right. that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for a person who has a lot of different views from me, from you know, different from the views I hold, a lifestyle that's very different from my own. Who is willing to talk to me, and who is willing to give insights about what it's like to to sort of be him? And so I think you know, um, that that was the next step. When you ask about the steps to sort of meeting him sure. to making the film, and then soon after that, the actual ride to DC was upon us, and so we came down to again started with him in the get-go of the ride, and then that was very. It was that technically was very hard. It was very hard to keep up with that such a huge motorcycle convoy for that many days. Um, that was that was probably the hardest part of our shooting process.
1: Well, for the, for ver- those people, ver- uh, I mean, go ahead, go ahead.
0: Oh, yeah, no. I was gonna say it's it's a very disciplined operation. It's sort of like a it's like a military maneuver because these
1: the participants are hugely trained
0: people who have had real life experience, and you know here we are, you know, filmmakers who have never done a precise maneuver like, you know, and it was like, oh, dark thirty was the wake up time, you know, and the whole thing was arduous. It was really arduous, and for many of them that's something that they also seek. They seek that, not just the exhilaration, but the intensity of like what it means to like apply yourself a hundred percent to something.
1: Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, and, um, there's you know with a with a with a a feature film or a short film or any type of film or television project there's there's an end in sight you have a story you know what your beginning middle and end is It arcs it's done you can pack up and go home and with a documentary you you know you are either on a beck and call or at the whim of the 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 subject or at the whim of the filmmaker i mean it's doesn't have that same um a necessary schedule to it unless somebody says well we're going to go into that town we're going to be there for a week and then we're done um so right right over a 3 year period you know you you've you've gotten to know uh, Ron and and the the people he surrounds himself with and and some of what he does um but but it's it's i I'm going to guess but it's almost like your life isn't your own at that point because you you would either come or go or you interact i mean it's 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 Quite different than um, narrative filmmaking.
0: It's very different, um, and you're so right about the sort of back and call, the whim, the the vicissitudes. Like it's not that like Ron would demand that we show up, but more like you're right that we didn't want to miss stuff, um, and so we actually had to get uh, some colleagues. We we needed to bond and make uh, a you know meaningful relationship with some Missouri-based shooters, so that when we couldn't be there. Um, there were many events that would happen very spontaneously, and if I had weekly calls or sometimes you know several times a week calls with Ron, and I would I would inventory him, just ask him, when is the next time that you know the Freedom of the Road Riders are going to meet, or when is the next time that you're going to be? Or he would tell me maybe there's a a big event like his granddaughter is having a baby, or you know something something that was a life you know a family event or. Um, And so then I had to plan with my team, you know, when could we go to Missouri? When could we be there physically and and film at long stretches? And when could we have a local crew observe and record local events? Um, And that's how we had to do it because we couldn't be there. You're absolutely right. Unless That's one reason to shoot local. Lots of reasons to do lots of things local these days and definitely jet fuel and accessibility oh,
1: right.
0: is a reason. And yet it really confines us because sometimes you're just specifically interested in someone from Wisconsin or Missouri just because you you, you don't live there because you don't know it, you know. So sure. you have to balance that, I think. But, um, but yeah, the vicissitudes, the it's like a sheet of, you know, it's like being like whipped around. Yeah, it's so true. You, you're you whipped around by this project where you want wonderful things to happen and spontaneous things, and yet half the time you're saying like, oh, Gosh, you know, uh, how can we do this? How can we get down there, you know? And sometimes we'd have to beg him to to like wait up for us. Like we'd be like, "Don't go down to Mexico yet, you know. Wait, wait, we're coming." <laughs> uh, you know, and and then um he and Alicia, that's uh, his partner who's Mexican um who enters the story midway, um they did a lot of filming themselves, which was also Stupendous! It was so. It was you know. In the end, we had to be careful about how many different formats we had in terms of what the film looked like. I don't mean because sure, it's precious, sure. but because it it can get can, right. Actually, because unfortunately, unless it's like a, a archival film, you know, people are, are are now used to thinking that oh, it means something very differently when you switch formats. Sometimes it's the practical nature of it, and sometimes people want to, you know, they're 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 inclined to read an aesthetic or a, a sort of a significance in it. But the fact is we had to be very creative about how we would get different kinds of coverage Um, because we could not be there all the time and we had to be strategic when we would come down and then stay for a while. You know, we would have to stay for at a minimum a week because of the fact that it takes a lot to get there. I mean, and, and we also wanted to shoot a lot. I mean, what I'm trying to say is like, you know when we were there we really had to push hard we had to exploit the moments of the of each day because it felt very valuable to be in person
1: well you know it's 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 tough enough to schedule a narrative shoot a feature film to to do it within a, a certain block of time and to get everything that you need done and to be satisfied as a filmmaker that you that you've captured what you wanted to capture and you're telling the story that you wanted to tell, and now you know you're doing a documentary where um, sometimes you have to arrange for however many of your team to to take off uh, from wherever they are, and then travel back to you know another location and to reassemble and to capture whatever you need to capture, and then have those same kinds of did I get what I wanted? Am I hoping you know I'm capturing what's going on, and and then to leave and then come back and do it all over again. When something else transpires, it's it's an you know an, I think just an enormous responsibility and a commitment and a, and a, a sense of dedication that must must uh, transcend all of it in order in order I mean you really want to have to tell the story in order to to put yourself through all of that.
0: No, it's um, it's so true, and you know you can get cold feet, you know, but I think the fact is. That, I mean, you can get Like, what is this going to add up to? What you know, especially especially when there isn't, like we like we talked about. If if there's not a a real specific arc, um, you can feel really lost. You can feel like, will this add up? And yet, sometimes just the fact that you enjoyed witnessing the scene, or or that the filming, like you you liked what you saw through the viewfinder, um, or when you bring it home and you're like, gosh, you know. For whatever reason, I'm just really touched by the scene of the of the three guys hanging out drinking a cup of coffee together. You know, I love their banter, I like the way they relate to each other. you know, I like their humor, and is, at some point, you know this is a moment I think a lot of filmmakers wait for, which is like when you know that you're enjoying it, when you know that you're seeing some something that you would actually just like to see even in another person's film, you know it's like that's when. You get the second wind to say like, okay, this feels really out of control and this is really uh, an accumulation of motley footage, but I want to keep forging. I want to see this through. I want to see what portrait we can actually sculpt.
1: Oh, that's very cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break right now, Deborah, just so you know. I wanna make a couple of announcements okay. uh, about you and the film and other things and then and then we'll come back and we'll continue that because it is you know, how, where do you get the story from the footage? You oh, you've got the story that's there and have you captured it on on on, on film. Um so let, I'll take this break and just hang right there and, and we'll be back. You're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. My guest today is Deborah Granick, the director of Stray Dog, the movie. Dot com. StrayDogTheMovie.com is the website. The documentary film is Stray Dog. She, Deborah and the film will be at the Milwaukee Film Festival this coming weekend. It's actually uh, going to be there Saturday, the 27th, at the Downer Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I take that back. Hold on a second. Um, it'll be at the Oriental Theater, uh, September 27th and the 29th. It will be at the Times. So it's so be in different places in Milwaukee. That, I'm, I'm, I'm messing this up. But you're going to be in attendance, and it says that uh, Tori Stewart, co-producer, will be in attendance, I believe. And Ron Straydog Hall yes. itself is going to be there, the film subject. Freddie Strickland, a film subject. And Robin Smith. Um, these are people from uh, your documentary who, uh, who will all be in attendance on the 27th at the Oriental Theater, September 29th. This is 4.15 at the Times. Um, so, So that's coming up. And again, it's StrayDogTheMovie.com. You can go and you can read about uh, it there and Deborah's work. Also, on the 27th at 11.30 a.m. at the Downer Theater will be Winter's Bone, the feature film we discussed earlier that was nominated for four Academy Awards. And then Working with Actors September 27th, the very same day at 2.30 p.m. at Collectivo on prospect, Deborah will present on this topic about working with actors. Um, then that one is—I uh, mean, all of these excite me—and but I also definitely want to uh, be there and see you working, you know, discussing working with actors live. Um so it's a great day. It's it's, it's Saturday the twenty seventh. It's coming up, it's this weekend. If you're in the listening area, you can get your tickets online. It's Milwaukee Film Festival. You're gonna to want to do that. You uh go see StrayDogTheMovie.com dot com. And also you can find out more at Rex Sykes Movie Beat dot ME where um we have an article up. It's a blog, but we've got the the the, the you can read about my guest and uh, and the different events and uh and go from there. So uh, my next guest will be Thursday, the 25th. That is the opening day of the festival, and it's director Gil Cates, Jr. Uh, he also will be in attendance uh, at October 9th uh, with his movie, The Surface, which shot in Milwaukee, uh, with uh, Sean Astin and Chris Mulkey and, and others, uh, Mimi Rogers and others. And, um, and so he's my next guest Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And then after that, coming up, uh, you know, we will continue with the writer series with uh, Michael Frost Beckner and others. And uh, Peter Marshall will be back with the director series and different things that we're doing on Rex Ike's Movie Beat. And um, I invite you to stay tuned and to help spread the word. And with that, we're going to go back to uh, Deborah. I'm enjoying this conversation very much. I mean, it's it's, it's very interesting. It's very fascinating. And, and the, so... Um, how do, I mean, you found this person, you know, obviously who captivated you, but but you had been you had done Winter's Bone and you had done a narrative feature or more, and 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 now you turn to documentary film, and you've shot a lot of footage, and 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 now you have to edit, and from that, you know there's a story, but you either you hope you captured it, or or mm-hmm. does the the story come from what you've captured? I mean, in other words, it's uh how do you how do you how do you tell how do you let the 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 documentary unfold uh or how do you make the documentary versus how do you make the narrative film in in other words can you discuss the differences in your responsibilities and obligations to the material as a director in each instance
0: yeah i think um you know it's always a hard process to when you when you have um, kind of scenes that deal with different characters and different themes, to you know like if, if if a film can contain you know, comfortably three themes, you know maybe themes about veteran identity and and uh, issues related to sort of the aftermath of war for in the lives of of American men in this case, um, and it can deal with maybe immigration, like what happens if you end up making a strong commitment to like Live with or get married to someone from another culture. You know what happens there, and then that's a, that's a meaty theme. The first one's a meaty theme, and then maybe you got room for one more, which is sort of what what is it like for Americans living in you know very much surviving in poverty. You know, trying to really cling on to life despite the fact that a lot of real hardship goes down around medical care, around teeth, around nutrition, around um, you know, and yet what happens when you see almost like an older version of Semi-rural America, where there is a lot of um, there's a lot of help. You know, um, I didn't ever get to film the scene. I'll just I'll, I'll get back to your question, but I, I there was a scene, that sure. a couple of times, blew my mind. Um, where at the local community center, where sometimes there'd be like a little shindig, you know, there'd be like a covered dish event. Um, when someone's house would burn down, or when someone had a really serious ailment, that's that was what the event was for. It was like it would be like this covered dish event. To help raise money for the people that lost their house, you know, same thing. Like I mean, it was like it was like seeing rent parties from the Depression. You know, it was like where people would get together and try to help raise rent for people. It was, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not trying to give a Pollyanna glimpse, like oh man, semi-rural poor America, wow, how charming they do little events for each. Other. No, no, I just meant that like, oh my God, it was sobering and touching at the same time. You know, it was sobering that there's just you know, for many people, there's just zero safety net, and it was touching that sometimes the kindness of neighbors actually kicks in. You know, um, but like you, you can see with that like that theme could have been very extensive. That theme could have been the whole film. You know, there there could be there could be a series about sort of what it's like to live in poverty right now in America. You know, what are those challenges? What does it really take? What is it? Re- what really happens to you? You know. Um, there could be a whole series of and and, and a full length film about just what it's like to have PTSD, like many years after the headlines fade, when it's no longer a, a popular discussion on any kind of AM television, or when it's not a discussion, when it's not in the headlines. You know, when you're just sort of left holding the bag after sort of the headlines fade. Um, so, you know, that is that is one of the supreme challenges is like how you're going to tease out what you can actually so to speak, chew off, you know, <laughs> or include. Um and I think that's like one of the you know, the hugest difference. But I did slightly lose track of how you were phrasing your question.
1: I think it took me afar. <laughs> It was probably a long-winded question. It's it, the, the difference between um, being a director on a narrative movie and assembling your footage and editing the story that you know that you have. Because, it, it, say, in the case of Winter's Bone, you're a co-writer on the script. You, you know, you went with the intention of creating a movie. Now you've shot it. and You've got to go back and edit it. Um, but with a documentary, you've you've you're somewhat open to how the story unfolds, and you're gathering footage as it goes along, and you may have inklings of of what story you want to tell, but there might be um, multiple stories that emerge. So, how do you, as a director, uh, you know, go both as a documentary filmmaker? How does that differ from from the narrative process of editing the movie? What right. what
0: right. You, you you do look for through lines? You look for through lines. You look for like with the um theme relating to Ron's veteran identity and, and, you know, if you want to call it in some sense, sort of the the, the long cost, the sort of um, the long cost of war, you know, the the fact that, um, that as someone proceeds in their life, for some, for many people that participate in combat, some of the things that happen to them don't go away. And I think that's contrary to what we think like, Oh, five to seven years later, everyone should be okay, you know, and that really isn't what the v a is finding, and that's not what the Vietnam generation found and so it's not like a short term effect uh the um that ended up being a through line, you know, one of the young bloods we met on the ride, a very dashing guy who's coming to milwaukee, you know we we, we thought he was dashing, you know it was just like a very well spoken individual who um was also very soulful. You know, he was trying to describe to Ron sort of from a younger generation perspective what how he feels combat really altered sort of the way, you know, the way he functions. And um, and that became a through line. So there's Ron talking about this young younger soldier. Freddie's talking about it. Then there's the burial. So as these guys are dealing with stuff, you know, more American soldiers are coming back and, and they're being buried and, and a very certain segment very specific segment of the population is sort of bearing the cost of that um, loss and, and, or, you know, that, that's, not everyone participates in combat. It's a very specific quadrant of our population, you know, or demographic, oh. uh, often defined by social class. Um, so, you know, Ron, that being, some, with some one morning Ron said something about that as he was cooking eggs. So that, so you seem to saying the through lines started to get built, like, Ron, Freddie. A burial a comment and there it goes that then we know that's one of the through lines that's one of the ways in which this theme is touched on by a variety of people places and things small dogs maybe is one of the ones that we thought was going to be a major through line and right now it's not actually in the finished product that that uh, sort of more its own film honestly it's it was almost like there was enough material there for its own film um the surviving, living on, a very, on very, very, very limited financial resources is a through line in the film. That's a through line that was touched upon by Ron's granddaughter, by his neighbors. Um, there was a scene that spoke to it really beautifully that didn't make it in, but it was it was one of those ones we would have put in that through line. It was a scene in which um, Ron and his sort of right-hand man at the RV park were trying to install, were, were trying to strategize to purchase a second washing machine, you know, a public washing machine that would be used by the residents of the RV park um, and yet you know so few people could contribute you know the, the rents weren't cover you know there was just no extra there was just no extra funding you know there's there no extra money not funding but money to, in which to sort of do infrastructure repairs um, you know the desire was there the vision's there the know-how is there but there, there just isn't the cash flow really and um, so that was so you can see like even the most ordinary things start to line up in terms of through lines and then 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 the art of the editor is just sort of how to make those through lines jive with each other so that you you're watching a film that you're not feeling like wow I'm something I'm I'm you know obviously we can't put a through line even if Ron loved elephants
1: mm-hmm. for example I'm just mm-hmm. thinking
0: you know absurd sure. we probably couldn't develop a through line about why Ron likes elephants that that probably wouldn't you, have flown. That would have felt like you know a a, a really weird off base tangent. Like why is that in the film? You know.
1: So let, let me ask you a question. I, I um, what do you think your responsibility is as a, as a documentary filmmaker? It seems that the, the the notion of documentaries has changed, and 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 I wonder if it's changed for the audience as well. It used to be I think people thought of documentaries as they thought of the news. You know, it was an objective look at some topic. The filmmaker w- w- attempted to be invisible and not have a point of view, even though we know that that's impossible. But, but there was this, this this lip service to, you know, everything was objective, not so subjective. And... Um, and, and then Michael Moore came along and, and people said, well, now he's telling his side and he's doing it as a documentary. And it's not really, you know, whether Michael Moore or anybody, you know, they're not really fair to have a, a point of view or the, for the filmmaker to insert their opinion into a documentary. Um, but I think uh, documentaries today are more popular than they've ever been. And there's there's a wider uh, uh uh, venues open to them, or, or avenues open, and more people are watching documentaries, and they're being educated, or they're learning about topics that they might not otherwise otherwise do. As as a filmmaker, how wh- how do you fit into that? What do you what do you see as your responsibility? And is it and and, and uh, is it um, I don't want a philosophical. I'm trying to ask a philosophical question here, but 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 as the filmmaker, w- w- what role do you play in in bringing this? Because I think that's fascinating. You know, you, you can't tell everything about Ron. So if he had a if he really loved elephants, that may not even have uh, come up in this movie, but the other things do. So there are things just because of convention, just because of time, just because of, of story that that will be omitted, and other things will be included. So thereby. It is subjective. Um, how do you feel as as uh, as the filmmaker telling the story? Like, how do you? Uh, if there a different way you would describe yourself as a documentary filmmaker from a narrative filmmaker? Does that does that, well, does that make know, the, sense? The,
0: yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, the you're telling stories, asking, but
1: maybe differently. Yeah.
0: Yes, but I was going to say that. The, first sort of part of your question is extremely timely, and it always is. You know, it's funny; it crops up all the time. It's cropped up, like you say, since the beginning of, sure. of documentary being talked about. It, it, you know, there's a whole seminar, as you may know. You know, just the that discusses it bears his name, Flaherty, the Flaherty Seminar, from the documentary filmmaker Robert Flaherty. You know, and the reason why I think they even keep his name and because he brought up the essential. Essential set of questions that we've never. There, there will be no conclusion because truth-telling is contingent. What you omit and what you include alter anyone's perception. We know this. You know there there have been radical discussions about exposing jump cuts, so you know what was omitted. You know, I I can't remember if when Errol Morris, you know, um, interviews some of these sort of history history-changing people. You know, the Mac Manera, Mac. Mac Manera. Mac help me out with Mac Manera. how do you say his name um and then, Yeah Macmer yeah exactly yeah Macmer you know when um you know whatever is said in between sentences is just as important as you know what's said you know before and after so what i'm trying to say is that uh there is no neutrality there's no way to be unobtrusive you can try to be Less intrusive, you you know that uh, philosophical debate by putting a camera in a room, you alter it, even some people say, you know just think about this, you alter it at least molecularly, you know you all you know there's no there's no you know there's no way that you could ever say that by not by placing a camera in a setting that you don't somehow alter what might play out there um, that being said, of course, there's ways to um, try to roll back the impact, you know, smaller footprint, you know, if eight people are in a room or two people in a room, that makes a big difference. Um, you can try to be there so long that people stop noticing you so much. You know, in Nurement, the idea that you, there was some groundbreaking shows in the 70s, right, one where they lived with a family, you know, on television, right, it was like a PBS show where they lived with a family for a while, the, the crew. Many, there's a wonderful Canadian documentary where they lived with a family for a long time and you know um, the aftermath of those stories can sometimes be very disturbing like what happens to the family in real life after the fact sure. that they've been filmed that's 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 a whole other thing of ethics it is fraught with responsibilities and ethics um, do most filmmakers think that they can hit that mark of feeling totally clean? No I don't think so Um you know i think i think there's much more responsibility about not like somehow betraying your documentary subject like it's a pretty low form of life to like get people to trust you and then somehow try to like show them in a bad light
1: right, right. that would
0: not make me feel good as a as a filmmaker and um you know i'm i'm using two two beautiful quotes i heard super recently from the filmmaker sort of an american treasure the filmmaker Albert Maisel is the documentary filmmaker, and he said two things that really seared into me. One is the art of documentary is to get close, but not so close as to hurt. I so thought that was very well said mm-hmm. um and then the second thing he said is my mission he's speaking for himself. My mission as a documentary filmmaker. What I feel like is my life's work is to attempt to rehumanize you know to humanize. To take a person, a place, a thing, an event, a, a, a side, a, a political faction, something that's possibly been dehumanized, and try to show the human—you know—try to humanize it. You know, that means when you, when we think we have an enemy or an opponent, you know, that the attempt sometimes is to show enough detail of their lives so that they are, they are, they, they, they have become humanized in your in your brain. You know, you you understand their humanity. Um, and he gave a wonderful example, which was kind of speaks to responsibility, which is he, he had growing up, there was like ethnic strife where he grew up in Boston, I guess, like sometimes like Jewish kids and, At- and Irish kids didn't get along sometimes in, in a certain neighborhood. And he was talking about the fact that he'd always been scared of these, the Irish kids that lived down the street. Um, and one time it came to blows and there was some kind of street fight and a couple years later, he um, found out some of the Irish guys he had grown up were involved in Bible sales, and he asked, got in contact with them, asked if he could ask the Bible company, it was like kind of like lateral sales, whether he could film them. The company said yes, the guys said yes, and he and his brother ended up spending like six weeks on the road with these Irish guys that they had grown up with.
1: Mm-hmm. And the whole yeah. film
0: is in service to sort of humanizing what it's like to try to eke out a living in nineteen sixty six as a door to door salesman, and how brutal that can be, wow. and how wow. you know and and he truly humanizes it like you would just sort of at that point probably seeing that film, you'd never want to just slam the door in a door to deal you know we, we don't have that same kind of thing anymore, but I'm just saying
1: right you know, it was
0: it was so much showing their humanity, showing how how anxious they were about the quota, how their lifestyle was really marginal because they. We're eking out a living, like getting blood from a turnip, you know, and, um, right, you know, so, uh, you know, I was just so touched by that, like the history and the context of sort of what he thinks uh, is a responsibility of a documentary filmmaker, you know, um, you know, it, uh, obviously there's also a trend to like go for the salacious, go for the juggler, go for the humiliation, go for the, yeah. you know, that reality TV sort of brought us down to sort of a bottom feeding level sometimes, mm-hmm. um. And I do try to separate myself from that. Not to try to be elitist, but try to like, shit. That's just not what I want to do. You know, I right. I don't want to be um, getting off on finding people that are in difficult situations and sort of like, you know, you know, celebrating the, the ability of the work. I hear you I know? hear you
1: completely right. No, I hear yeah. you. I hear you completely. Well, it seems to make. I mean, it seems to me uh, some of it can be. Um, understood, it, it, you know, by marketing. I mean, if, if somebody said, if a filmmaker said, you know, I really want to try, I really tried to stay independent of my topic, and I'm really trying to examine both sides. Say of a political form, I'm trying to look at the right and the left, and and let you decide. And how well have I done, you know, because I'm trying to I'm trying to give both sides without without uh, my point of view. I think that's I think that's fair and if somebody says that and and they can stick to it and they can do that to whatever degree, great, if somebody else comes along and says, You know what, I like the right better than the left, so here's my view on it, as long as they're open, or I like the left better than the right, as long as they kind of admit to what they're doing, I don't have a problem with that you know it it is' because it allows people to go and see it for what it is or 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 at least what the filmmaker's statement about it is I think it's it's a fascinating thing that what documentaries do and what it sounds like you have done is it opens us up to the opportunity to see people being people, experience them as human, get a taste or a feel for um a lifestyle that may not be ours or even problems or issues that people encounter that make us human and 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 to better understand uh, the humans we live with it it sounds more like uh, something that brings us together than that would divide or separate uh, going along with what you said a moment ago about you know we can go to the baser facts you know or the baser areas and and do that but that that's not something you want to do you know it's it's um Maybe you know uh, the responsibility of filmmakers. Whatever they decide, it is. But but the idea that you know we're all in this you know this fishbowl together, and and if if somebody can shed a light on something that makes us understand uh, our humanity a little bit more, well, I think it's probably a good thing. I'm sorry, that was even a question. Too. That was just a statement. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no. I
0: do too. I do. I, I do too. And I think, but no matter what, there's going to be stuff that comes up. You know. Um, yes. In, in this particular subject, I was working, you know, with with Ron and his people. You know, there were issues that were complicated. There were issues um, that really were disturbing to me, and and um, and I filmed some of them, and then, you know, but without doing a more replete job, it would have actually been like, in some ways, I think, very incendiary and very um, sensational for me to put them in. You know, very different protocols and feelings and relationship to firearms for example you know exist in the in the community where i happen to be filming uh-huh. as it, as it exists in me, in many 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 parts of the country and then uh you know there's some things that really are very uh both alienating to me and concerning to me um and again but without a really you know without going full tilt on that subject i actually think it was a disservice to include them because you need they, they need really long time. They need that. Really needs to be explored in depth. You put in something that could be sensational, like a kind of firearm that maybe isn't entirely legal or whatever, possessed by someone in that community, or a lot of them. Or you know, you know I'm not talking. You know, it's funny that we can we could we could show a gun show. You know, where where so many guns are <laughs> are in one room or in one basketball court of the local high school or wherever it is. Um, you know but then that might be the right context in which you know to talk about it because the whole film would be trying to look at you know what what's what are what are what are what's our nation's relationship to firearms in 2014 you know that would be the right context i think to go deep you know and so all i'm trying to say is that if you can't sort of really go deep into something or try to at least show something full about it it, it becomes a, another kind of weird. I think irresponsibility to sort of just pop it in because you could because I got it on film. You know, that's you know what I mean. Right. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also think one, one, untr- one interesting thing, what well, you know, based on the comment you were making, um, is that it's also this very difficult concept for us, especially in American culture, about the and that somebody can be this this and something else that someone can. Um, we 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 really are much more comfortable with black and white distinctions. We really are. We are one of those cultures that really is so much more comfortable. Uh, and documentary often is like this. It's almost like a torture. It's like wearing a hearsuit coat or something because it brings up the and all the time. That's a
1: really you know, good like point. It's, like
0: it's like being it's like being it's like being sprayed with itching powder, you know, because. Uh, documentaries show us that it's rarely black and white and how how that kind of wrecks our understanding of like getting our firm opinions about things
1: i think that's absolutely fascinating it's a captivating point it's it you know i used to say don't define me by what i do define you know because i do many things i you know this might be my career but this might be my passion this might be my Family. This might be my genetics. This may be my nationality. You know, we we are all many, many different things, and yet people will pick and go. Well, you're a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, or you're, you're you're a professional. You know, you're an orthodontist. That's you know, and they and they peg you by you. So the the notion of what you said about black and white, the documentaries, uh, or in this case, like the story you're telling, it it, it has that and thing. There's more to the person than. Than that easy, you know, peg to put on them, and that 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 makes them most captivating and maybe sometimes frustrating because we have to face not settling for black and white when it raises that additional element that we're out of our comfort yeah. zone when, we, when we're watching some of that. That's a, that's a, uh, if if I understood you right, that's a really fascinating point for me to to consider. Yeah, I
0: think, and, and it's it's a headbanger when you're, you know, when you're, you know, who who among us also wouldn't want it to be um, sometimes more black and white? Like, you know, it's hard when you really like someone and then they have a political view that you don't share. You know, we know that's hard. It's hard in our own families, right? And occasionally that was like, you know, occasionally those were moments where I, I felt, you know, I, I did experience like a personal disconcerting feeling like, God, I like you so much. And yet, I don't share your view on this or I can't understand yeah. why you feel this way, you know. And but it's those are sometimes those discomforts that we have to learn to live with. I mean, and yet, of course, you you don't want to be a oh, you know, a dish rag. You don't want to like capitulate just because, you know, you, you know, I I kind of I need to leave a project sort of having my core values still intact, you know. Um Right. <laughs> That's a good doesn't
1: point. mean they
0: can't be doesn't mean they can't be influenced. It doesn't mean they cannot be influenced. It means that I don't need to forsake myself to sort of you know, think that uh, oh gosh, you know, you know, I'll be more understood or I'll be more liked here in in southern Missouri if I give up that opinion or this opinion. You know, and um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I and sometimes I felt, you know, really concerned that I felt like sometimes anger gets really misplaced. Sometimes, you know, like God, you know, that certain people in in politics, get blamed or something when it's a really a, such a much more complicated systemic, you know. And sometimes that felt frustrating, you know, that to hear some some views that, like, I was like, ah, oh, no, guys, you know, I'm I'm seeing it differently, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and noting that maybe my point of view could never really get across, like that, but for whatever reason, there there would be these places of 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 chasm that can't be crossed, you know.
1: Well, it is. It is. It, I mean, it's an immense food for thought, and it, and again, it goes back to you know the sensitivity or the ethics of the filmmaker and and yourself in telling this story or letting this story come to film. Um, I I have an a, a, technically an important question to ask you because we're really at the end of the hour mark, and I know that you're busy, um, but uh, you're. I'm enjoying this so much. If you have a few more minutes, we can continue. If not, I would, lo- I would. Yeah. Either way, I'd love to have you back.
0: Yeah. Well, I can talk maybe a few more minutes, and then I actually have to go. And the reason I'm at this Vassar College today, which I'm actually going to be doing a seminar here, so I do have to pop off in a few minutes. <laughs>
1: you got to go.
0: Um, but yeah, but I can certainly. We can maybe think of one last way to sort of round out our conversation okay. for now.
1: That would be fantastic, and, and then at your convenience another time. I'd love to have back on the show to talk about other topics and sure. Winter's Bone and and the success of your uh, of your recent efforts and filmmaking in general. Um, but let me well, let me ask you this because you are going to be in Milwaukee. You do have the the documentary and the special guests, and so again remember the website is uh, Stray dot com, and you're going to want yeah. to. Um, Go check that out. You also can go to the Milwaukee Film Festival if if you can't if I don't have the website right in front of me and I should, but it's the Milwaukee Film Festival and you can find that on Google and you can find out that Deborah will be there the 27th. That's this coming Saturday. Uh, morning, noon, and night, essentially. You've got uh, Winter's Bone showing. You've got Stray Dog showing in the evening. You've got a a symposium in the afternoon working with actors. And and that's the question I'd like to leave this with at at this moment, at least to open up the thing. And that is you're working with live humans in a documentary setting, which you're also, when you're doing a narrative, oh, and I have one question that somebody wanted me to ask you, but um, you're working in the narrative. You're working with actors. Both require trust. One is to help an actor... Um, bring life to their character as written and as they understand it and the other is to uh, allow themselves to be um, maybe in both cases allow them to be themselves when they're in front of the camera and those documentary subjects the psychology of working with people do you find that it differs much um, from helping an actor uh, perform or helping a, uh, a documentary subject be at ease with you and what you're doing I, I imagine they both require twi- trust.
0: Oh, they do. They do. I think one thing with narrative is that, you know, um, the actor and the director really are in service to the same thing. I mean, they both want um, the a, a performance that will hopefully really sing out and, and, and be compelling. And, um, you know, I think one way that I have learned to sort of Hopefully cultivate some of that trust is that you know I also really respect the actor's instincts. I really like to listen i don't i I'm not a dominator. I don't say you know that was terrible. That's completely opposite of what I would like you to do you know i that that's not going to come out of my mouth because I want to see what the actor's bringing first and foremost, and then I might try to you know make adjustments, but I'm also going to place a great value on what the actor who spent some time imagining the role and imagining what it would be like to be in the character's shoes, they're, they've invoked their imagination, and they were, they're also using some of their life experience. You know, um, That was one of the huge joys of working with um, Vera Farmiga in the earlier film, was that you know, there were some ways in which she was bringing some real-life experience that she had had. Um, not that the film has... One of the subjects is a person who's trying to get clean and sober so it wasn't so much on the um on that level as the level of um, not knowing what to do sort of in the face of your kids watching you go through something very difficult you know she just brought some really rich life experiences that could be factored in, so it was like Vera plus the character um and at that point i've got very little that i'm going to be. Imputing, I'm going to be sort of tailoring and, scu- and gently, gently sculpting and trying different variations, especially for the editing room. But I'm not going to be tearing down something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the trust is that uh, she knows I'm going to try to look for variations, and and my trust is that she's um, she's really immersed and she's really focused on on. You know, she's really involved in the scene. That she's believing the fiction of the scene, and she's there, and she's trying to work it. You know. Um, so, I think trust is 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 definitely a huge factor in both relationships. I mean, and uh, you know, I think you know it's, it's 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 awkward because it's like on one level, you know, I I don't want. Um, to necessarily have an actor constantly say, you know, I want to look at myself. I want to look at my. They have to trust that I, you know, I'm not going to let. I'm not going to let them look bad, you know. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going. I'm watching for that. I'm, I've got their backs, you know, and um. And then I have to hope that they can trust that I'm. That's really my. That's really that I'm really on it. That I'm doing it. That I'm. I'm there for them. So it is. It's huge trust factor. And with Doc, it's probably even more because. And Doc, you know you're you're wearing your own clothes. You know you're, the, that is your real house. That is your real family. And you uh, know the documentary, you know it's, it's it's taking that to the next level, really.
1: Wow. Well, having done, let me wrap it up with this question, and and you may not give as long an answer as you as as you would like, and, and we can cover that another time. But having done both documentary and narrative, do you have a preference?
0: You know, I I don't. I feel like um, it leaves me in this really strange. I don't know how an East, a person with more Eastern sensibilities, you know, like more ability to sort of like calm down and, and be more meditative, but like they just ricochet in my head all the time and they are so inextricably linked. You know, I love the way that you can start a documentary without a lot of bells and whistles, like that you can sort of just try your hand at it and see if the subject is going to work and test it and then proceed incrementally. And with narrative, I love that you can orchestrate things, that you can say like, God, I think it would be really fun to re- you know, either recreate or... You know, if, if I want to do a scene at a county fair uh, you know um and i and I had i maybe I remembered like that there was a girl that I had seen the year before with her goat i could I could try to ask the four h club who was that girl with the goat? can we bring her in you know you can orchestrate you know, you can say like I thought that girl with the red hair and the goat was so amazing. can we find her can she come in and and even though she's not in the in the fair this year could we could we bring her in for this for the scene you know so you, you get what I mean. Like sometimes you can like cherry pick your favorite things that you've seen or felt or done and you get to you get to actually ask for them. You're not, you, you know, you, you overtly without any shame say like, let's try this. Let's bring this in. Let's set it here. Let's see if we can rent this place, you know. So on some level, it's more of like a candy shop on some level. But then on another level, it's so complicated that real life is a candy shop. Someone's real figurines on their real mantle is the candy shop. So I don't know. It's it's a, you can see where I get really a little bit us. Uh, I get hung up. I get I get in a web that I can't get out of of loving both and having them inform each other. Right.
1: Wow. But you know, well, I
0: mean, as, 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 you know, this is the, the, the look, this is the this is the statement you'll hear out of a lot of filmmakers' mouths, right? Yeah. Life is stranger than fiction. So sometimes that just that's the queen. That's the queen that you all have to pay we all have to pay homage to. You know, it's like that life will deal you these characters that you could not have conceived of but a good novel will do the same so it's like again it's 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 i would i would call it a dialectic
1: <laughs> <laughs> they talk well, they talk very to cool. each other
0: you know yeah
1: no, that's very cool and it's been really really marvelous that you've been able to make time in your busy day and uh, and be with us here at at Rexyke's movie B. I really do appreciate it and i'm looking so forward to you being in town on uh saturday the 27th to uh to um attend with your movie and to conduct the symposium and and to have witcher's bone and your special guests run and and others with you so thanks so much for your time and uh oh, enjoy so all of your time until then and then beyond that of course but uh I uh, thank you and I will I'll call you in a second just to 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 wrap it up off, off the air, but thank you so much and and have a have a great uh-huh. rest of the day.
0: All right. Well thank you so very much and I've I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you.
1: Likewise, thanks. Bye, Deborah. Bye. Bye. Deborah Granick, everybody. Very, very uh, fascinating conversation about documentary film and the film Stray Dog. Uh, you can uh, find out more about it at uh regarding uh, Deborah and her film uh, Winter's Bone and others and Stray Dog and uh, her schedule at the Milwaukee Film Festival. That's RexIkesMovieBeat.me. That's the new blog. Or RexIkes.com. There's a page there at the official website. But also at Stray Dog the Movie. Dot com, which is the website for that, uh, for that, uh, for her documentary film. So uh, be sure to um, to read and then to listen, and if you can attend uh, the movies here at the Milwaukee Film Festival in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, begins the 25th of October, goes till the 9th of. Uh, I'm sorry, the 25th of September goes to the 9th of October. My next guest is Gil Cates, Jr. He's the director of The Surface, a film shot entirely on Lake Michigan in Milwaukee, starring Sean Astin, Chris Mulkey, Mimi Rogers, and more. And uh, you're going to want to listen to what Gil has to say. He's also the co-producer on the recent movie Jobs, about Steve Jobs. And uh, you're going to want to hear what he has to say. It's coming up live 11 a.m. on Thursday. That's Eastern Time, the 25th, 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific. You can join us live. Whenever the show is live, you can join us in the chat room, uh, or you can simply listen. When it's archived, all shows are archived. The same very same link you use to listen live, you can use to listen to the archive show. And they're archived immediately, and they're available 24-7 and since everybody is uh, giving usually valuable tips and advice and suggestions for you to be able to enhance your career uh, or uh, book another acting role or edit a film a little bit better or shoot at another angle or whatever it is that in terms of filmmaking please help spread the word about my guests by using your facial, favorite social media means or email or phone or in person to uh, talk about the show talk about Rex Sage's Movie Beat and his guests because they are golden and you're going to want to listen to each and every one of them. There's over 400 hours of filmmakers uh, sharing their expertise with you. My next guest um, is uh, Gil Cates, Jr. We're going to have Peter Marshall coming back. We're going to have uh, Michael Frost-Beckner coming back, and a whole lot more. So, again, I want to thank my fascinating guest, Academy Award-nominated director Deborah Granick, and you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. You can follow me on Twitter at b t The last word is abbreviated. You can also find the Friends page on Facebook, Movie Beat friends. All right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. And until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.